Uh, Lord, we thank you for being able to come here this morning. We thank you for your providence and your sovereignty. We pray for your Holy Spirit here this morning to open our eyes to your scriptures and to what you're doing to build your kingdom. In Christ we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so we're going to, uh, I think I'm going to open up with a scripture verse. I don't normally do that in this marriage series, and we're into child rearing. Uh, so we're going to look at 2 Corinthians two fourteen to 16, and that's going to be the basis for what I'm going to talk about this morning is how do we build culture in our homes, what type of culture we're, built, we're building, and, and what should we be building. So let's first go to 2 Corinthians 2, and we'll read 14 to 16. <clears throat> Paul's writing by the Holy Spirit and says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. <clears throat> For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and uh, among those who are being saved. Sorry. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those uh, those we are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance of death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? So what Paul's saying here is that everywhere we go, as, as Paul was planting churches, preaching the gospel, we are constantly creating an aroma uh, in the atmosphere that we're, we're, we're uh, creating in the atmosphere that we're at, and that's either an aroma to life or or to death. And so <clears throat> what I want to talk about this morning is, is how do we build culture in the home? What culture should we be building? Uh, because honestly, this could have been uh, a foundational message in the uh, earlier parts with marriage, because um, you're building, if you're a single person, you're still building culture. When you're married without kids, you're still building culture. But it becomes a little bit more evident when you have children and you're passing the things down and, and the atmosphere that you're creating. Uh, usually children absorb things pretty easily. Those are good things and those are also bad things. <clears throat> and when the Bible says, like, teach a child the way he should go when he's young and, and he won't depart from it, that doesn't say only the, he'll only accept the good things. And then when he's old, he'll only do the good things. It's whatever you teach him when he's young, he'll do when he's older. And so children do have an innate way of absorbing lifestyles, values, traditions, and they are the fruit of the culture that we build in our homes. And so uh, what is culture? Anybody want to, I'll just give you guys a free-for-all for 30 seconds. Can somebody raise their hand and tell me how would you describe culture or what is culture? We got one hand, one brave melody. A way of life, okay. Anybody else? Anybody else? Well, you know we have. Uh, you were, if you were to talk just in nationalities, there's Asian culture, there's American culture, there's Spanish culture. All right, those are ways of life. There's values, traditions, uh, food, customs, arts. Uh, there's different laws, uh, habits. And that's usually of a particular people. 
And so we normally look at cultures and say they've got a way of life, they've got traditions, they've got various laws, they've got habits, institutions, uh, certain cultures uh, uplift certain values over others. Um, but what I kind of want to bring to attention is, is that's all true. That's one way to describe culture. But culture is religion externalized. At the heart of every culture, there's a, a center and a basis of worship. And out of that creates customs. Out of that comes the arts. Out of that comes uh, laws um, in respect. You know, how do you treat human life and human dignity? All that comes from what you worship. And so every culture at the center of it, center of it has some object or objects of worship. And you can usually tell what those are by what's, what's like, you just can't touch it. You're not allowed to talk anything bad about it. You're not allowed to uh, go against it. And, and you can usually generally, uh, you can generally find out what that is at the heart of every culture. And so, <clears throat> like I said, there's national culture. Like, what culture am I embodying right now? Italian culture. Everybody thought it. Nobody wanted to say it. Italian culture, uh, right? There's a, a Asian culture with a different cuisine. Um, so we do have national cultures, and we could identify them. Even if we didn't see the people, right, we could identify uh, like an Asian person versus a Spanish person by looks. But if you were to just look at their culture, if you were to look at their garb, if you were to look at their traditions, their food, you could usually identify a culture. Those things become really evident on a national level. Uh, but we also, there's more local cultures, and culture keeps streaming downward outside of nations. And you have uh, state or providence cultures, like if we have in our Ohio culture, if I were to say OH, I we got an IO, right? That wouldn't happen in Texas. That wouldn't happen if I went to Texas. Uh, if I went to Texas, there'd be a different way of dress, right? We went to Texas recently, and there was a lot of cowboy boots and cowboy hats, and I didn't see a lot of people with strong in their mouth, but we were in a suburb. But I think if you went outside of the suburb, you would see that. But, and so there's different cultures, there's different garbs, there's, and you get to that in more local regions. Um, <clears throat> you have city cultures, right? A lot of cities celebrate Founders Day, where that city was founded. Uh, does anybody know when Dayton was founded on... 1803, April 1st. It was a big old April Fool's joke. Uh, I don't actually remember the year, so you guys can fact check 1803. But I do remember it was April Fool's uh, in the early 1800s. And so cities have culture, right? In Dayton, we are the birthplace of aviation, so that's huge in our culture. That's huge with the Air Force. Um, you know, uh, uh, we generally have a culture of innovation in Dayton. And so culture keeps streaming down, and then you have family culture, <clears throat> different families have different traditions. There's, there's inside jokes. You usually absorb the accent uh, that you speak with from your family. You don't get it from uh, generally the outside culture or growing any higher. And so you also, uh, in the family culture, is what we're talking about, but that's really where you learn your values, where you establish traditions, um, you give certain things more importance than others. And even if you had a, you're in a national culture, you're in a, a state culture, you're in a, in a city culture, but it's within your family if you decide to adopt those cultures or not, right? You in your family is probably the most important place where we do build culture. 
And so culture in the most part of what we're talking about, how we get traditions, values, uh, ways of life, um, what we deem more or less important, and ultimately how we worship on going all the way up to the national culture is mostly dictated by the family culture. And so you don't normally <clears throat> uh, change traditions from the top down. They do go, they, or mostly national cultures change from the bottom up. And so culture in, in, the, in this sense is, is shaped from the family up, uh, not the other way around. But, and so this is an important part, but culture, it's also true that culture is shaped from the top down in every institution through leadership. And it usually has the, the power to shape culture. And so there'd be no point if it was all the way from the bottom up, if, it, if, you, if your kids and the babies and the, everybody under three foot tall shapes the culture in your home. There's no point in me getting up here. I should just go down to the Sunday school class and talk to them because they're the one dictating the culture. And maybe in some families they do dictate the culture, but it, it, it ought not to be so. And so we do have, as parents, <clears throat> uh, power um, to shape culture in our home, and it's mostly the leaders in the institutions that can shape that culture. And so especially in any, any substance sense or any rapid sense. And so when you get culture reduced to the least common denominator, you have the family, right? And so culture is geographically influenced from the, from the bottom up, but it is the institution, but in, this, in, but in each institution, in a, in a government institution, or you could think in a business, or a family, or a church, uh, or, <clears throat> or any, any civic government, uh, it's mostly influenced from the top down. They have the power to influence culture in more ways. And so that means that uh, father and mother direct the culture of the family more than the kids. Right? I don't think anyone disagrees with that. I hope not. Uh, you could let your kids dictate the culture, and it's not going to be a very good one. Uh, there's going to be a lot of mac and cheese and ice cream and whining. Uh, and that's what you, if you don't get what you want. <clears throat> and, and so in, in businesses, bosses dictate culture uh, over employees, <clears throat> mostly. Same thing with pastors over congregants, uh, coaches over players have more influence over cultures. Mayors, governors, presidents going up into civic government have more influence over culture than, than citizens in a lot of ways. But just a little caveat, obviously the more, the higher you go up and the more people you get into like maybe a national culture, uh, they have a lot of influence over the culture, but, they, uh, uh, but their fingers spread out into less or their arms spread out into less areas of influence. So uh, a family culture, and you can, the, the leaders, the mother and the dad, have influence over what food they wear, what clothes they wear, uh, the values. They have almost ultimate control over those, those things that create the culture. But when you go up into civic government, into my, uh, our president has very little say over what I wear. Uh, but my mom did <laughs> when I grew up. Uh, she had a lot to say. I wish she said more. If you go back and look at pictures of when you were young, uh, maybe you wish your parents stopped you. And no, I don't have any pictures to show. <clears throat> and so that scripture in, that we looked at in 2 Corinthians is talking about, like, we are an aroma. We are creating a fragrance of Christ. If we're living as godly Christians, 
everywhere we go. And that means in our homes, that's in our churches, in the business, wherever we go, we're creating some type of aroma. And so Paul here by the Holy Spirit is saying that if we live as Christians, we are continually making this fragrance, and some will accept it as life, and some will accept it as death. Our obligation is to be good Christians, creating a, a Christian culture, and particularly we're going to talk about in the home, but some, that's how they accept it is up to them, and up to how the Holy Spirit directs them, it's not up to me. It's the same fragrance, uh, you know, and uh, we have that, you know, and just if in, in colognes or whatever, in, in different smells, some people can smell something and really like it, and some people can smell it and really hate it. And, uh, and Paul's saying this in the context of, of preaching the gospel and planting churches. And as he was planting the churches, they had to adopt new values, new ways of life, new, new traditions, and new ways of worship. Uh, not totally new. Um, I'm not saying that everything was totally new. It was um, a fulfillment of the, the churches, the fulfillment of the, of the true Israel in Christ. And so it wasn't a completely new thing, but it was new ways of worship. It was a different culture than the Jewish culture at the time, if they were coming in from Jewish culture. And it was completely different from pagan culture, uh, especially in Corinth, with how sexually immoral they were and, and uh, you know, having temple prostitutes and, and various things. And it was a totally different way of worship from pagan culture. And so... Uh, if you were to view it as essentially as Christians, what we're called to do is to shape cultures. And that starts in our family cultures. Uh, and we do that. And we, we, we will change the national culture. We will change the, the state and local cultures by creating subcultures in our families and in our ch churches. And that culture, uh, what the scriptures points to, is what will ultimately take over every nation. Every nation is, has already been prophesied by God and, and uh, in God's providence to absorb a Christian culture, is to be Christianized. That's the Great Commission. That's what Jesus sent us out to do. And we disciple the nations by creating subcultures in our families and in our churches that will influence the culture around us. And so uh, we even heard, and, and I'm guessing most people are familiar with this, but we have the dominion or the cultural mandate in Genesis excuse me, that tells us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Because he is, God didn't just give Adam and Eve like a, a mandate to like, okay, here's, uh, just be fruitful, have a lot of kids, like produce a lot of gardens and cultivate the land and go out and do things. And the people are, we're not talking about people here, we're just talking about lands, right? Just cultivate crops. No, we're talking about cultures God wanted and from the very beginning, Adam and Eve were given a job to go and shape culture. And, and so um, even our English word uh, culture is, is comes from the Latin meaning to cultivate or to grow a piece of land. And so when we're building culture, we're, we're cultivating, we're planting, we're, we're watering, and we're slowly watching the growth. And so what you have to ask yourself is, what aroma am I producing in my home? And what are you growing? Right? What is your home growing? Uh, and you can, you give it enough time, you'll see the fruit of it. Whatever you're growing, right? God is not mocked. If you plant strife, you will reap strife. 
If you plant bitterness, you will get bitterness. Uh, if you plant joy, you're going to get joy, right? If you plant love, you'll, you'll get love. And so is you uh, should be asking, and I think when, you, when you're looking at cultures, especially in your family, you're looking at kind of foundational, like high-level things. I'm not saying uh, you should instantly go into looking into, you know, how do I, uh, how do I do like if I do, I have a joyous tone. I should would just be asking myself in my home: Do we have joy in our home? Do we see the fruit of the Spirit? Do we see love of Christ? Do we see uh, that our children are loving the commands of God? Do they like to worship? Things like that. And so you have to ask yourself: What am I producing in my home? Uh, because, or what are we producing? You know, with your spouse in our homes, or you know, single brothers and single sisters are creating cultures as well in their homes. Um, because you are inevitably producing an aroma in your home, whether you like it or not. You don't get an option to not produce a smell, right? Everybody's smelly. Everybody in this room is smelly. Uh, and it either <laughs> smells good or it doesn't. I'm talking about in the spiritual. Some of you are just smelly, but uh, someone will talk to you later about that. Uh, right, and so you're inevitably producing uh, uh, some kind of culture, some kind of aroma in your home, and um, is it producing life? You know, unity, peace, love, joy, generosity, service to one another. Right, is that being produced in your marriage? Do you see it down in your kids? Is it when, in your friends when they come over? Uh, your extended family when they come into your home? Is it producing life, or is it producing? death? Is it drudgery? Is there a lot of drudgery in your home? Strife, contention, anger, bitterness? Um, and you should be looking at the, as the general pictures, the general culture in my home, a, a joyous place? Is it filled with love, service to one another? Do we, uh, do we have mutual respect and love for one another? Or is there a lot of strife? Is there a lot of contention? We are dealing with sinful people, so there's always going to be some contention, but is that the general atmosphere? And so usually once you start getting to having kids and the kids can talk and walk, you can, it becomes very evident what type of culture you're building, especially when they get to be, uh, you know, I would say, you know, you got the infant years and the toddler years, those are nice and sweet and cute, and then you got like the five to eight-year-olds and they're starting to learn things, and, and you're really just teaching and molding them then. But once they get 9 or 10 to, like, 12, that's when you really know, it's like, uh, did I do a good job for the last 10 years or, or not? Uh, you know, every 5-year-old is going to be contentious. They don't want to do a lot of things. Uh, so so <laughs> if your 5-year-old's kind of whiny. I'm not too concerned about that because every five-year-old is uh, for a majority of their day. And, but are they 9, 10, 11, 12 years old and they're, and they're whiny? Uh, are, they, are they generous? Are they filled with joy? Do they like to sit down and have dinner with the family? Do they like to do family devotions? That kind of thing is how you can tell. And it really is like a 10-year plan on what you're building today. You're not really going to be able to tell, it's not going to become apparent for uh, 10 years possibly. And so with your children, you can really tell what kind of 
what kind of stuff you're planting in, in the culture of your home, um, one thing you can do is, is just a test if your kids are a little bit older or when your kids are a little bit older is uh, give them a chore to do that they don't like to do. Is it, ah, oh, do I have to? But I don't want to. Or is it, okay, sure. <laughs> right? There's a, has, it, has what you've built in your family uh, produced in their heart by the, you know, in, in you taking God's direction and obviously being motivated by the Holy Spirit? Are they generous? Is there wanting to be service towards one another? Do they accept that willingly? That's a good way to uh, find out if there's, if there's just joy in your home. And so uh, we're pretty, uh, well, God doesn't leave us without instruction in this. He doesn't leave us and say, okay, you're building culture, you're in the aroma to Christ, and you're producing a good culture, you're producing a bad culture. Go and figure it out. And the first three kids are kind of like the test subjects, and they're just kind of like the throwaways. Uh, and then the fourth uh, through whatever, the fourth child, if you get that far, is going to be the one that you're going to get it right because you had all these testings for him. He doesn't do that. He doesn't leave us without instruction. He doesn't leave us without wisdom. <clears throat> and so there's three things uh, I want us to consider as we're building family culture. And as we get farther in the series, we'll talk about instruction and discipline um, and some family basics like family worship, uh, which is you are building culture and all of those things. But I want you to consider the three things we're going to consider is just the general atmosphere <clears throat> um, what are the rules or what do you value and uh, Sabbath days and holidays and I think um, if we were to look at, at when Israel was coming out of Egypt God was calling a people group to himself to be a separate and distinct nation a separate and distinct people who had different traditions had different values had different lifestyles had different morals, and had ultimately different uh, ways of worship that he wanted to, and he was building culture, and he gave them instruction in how to do that. He didn't just say, come out of Egypt and uh, just be a different people over here, and whatever you do is, is fine with me. He was, uh, he was building a new, a new culture. <coughs> and so number one is just looking at the general atmosphere of your home, Right? And so in this, it's really the small things that count. It really is what builds the, the general atmosphere in your home is the small, mundane, day-to-day -day things that builds the culture. That's at, at dinners, that's um, how you talk to each other, what you do with your time, right? And a good way to, uh, uh, to maybe think about this is at some point, you know, you can do whatever you want in your family. You're in control. You're the parents. And, but at some point, they are going to be adults, and they will choose to either stick with you, follow your ways of life, keep those values, or they will uh, become an obstinate 18-year-old and move out, which is what I did. Uh, <laughs> at 18 years old, uh, my mom said she was trying to instill some good values in me, and I said... And she said, I'm going to charge you rent. And I said, okay. And she went to work, and I moved out. <laughs> and I left her a note. Not a good way to handle uh, family at a, as an 18-year-old. I don't suggest that. But uh, to say you are looking forward to the atmosphere you create is at one point uh, your children 
will either, they're either accepting it their entire life or they're doing it with drudgery. And when they get to adulthood, they're either going to reject it or they're going to continue that way of life. And, and that's mostly built by the, the, the small things. And so, <clears throat> so the atmosphere in the home uh, isn't instilled in, in a one-time, you know, sit down, talk with your kids, or, or a teaching, or one-time family worship, or one-time, one act of discipline, or one conversation with them. Atmosphere is created in, in the little day-to-day things. And so um, a kind of uh, example of that is... <clears throat> Or maybe to make the make the point is, if you were generally neglectful of your kids, didn't spend time with them, didn't talk with them, uh, didn't you were always busy, you filled your evenings with other things, and then you go on one week extravagant vacation with your family a year, that's not going to create atmosphere. That's not going to create culture, right? That's not going to negate the other uh, fifty-one weeks of neglect, spending time, being too busy for them, right? not taking them to the park doing whatever. Uh, in, in the same way, you can't, you know, I think about this as a father, you can't come through the door and be like, okay, I'm on the phone, hold on. Uh, yeah, hold on, I'll get to you in a minute. I'm busy, I gotta talk to somebody and I gotta handle this. And then I'm like, oh, why is the dinner not ready? And uh, yeah, I told you to clean your room. You're not even done with your schoolwork. Uh, and I can't do that for three hours in the evening and then sit down, have dinner, be too busy, rush through it, uh, get... Uh, Lily off to swim practice, you know, on certain evenings, and then spend 10 minutes before bed being really joyous and read, and read a story and tell them how much I love them and then say, get to bed. That 10 minutes does not negate several hours of being too busy, talking down to them, having a general disposition of, of dis, displeasure. And so in building atmosphere, it's really the little things in your home that matter. And so the little things are cumulatively added up, produce something greater than any extravagant one-time offering. <clears throat> or even if it's a regular, you know, like 10 minutes before bed, I'll be, <clears throat> I'll be nice to my kids and be very loving and joyous uh, because in my mind, they're going to bed, <laughs> right? That uh, doesn't, doesn't produce the culture you want to do. And so the little things you do daily are what build culture. So oftentimes we just disregard these things. We just think it's, I'm too busy. We get a lot of these day-to-day repetitions. It gets monotonous. Uh, it, gets, it gets tedious sometimes. And so we disregard them because we think they're small, but they're actually the big things. And so they're the things that are more important. And it's the, it's the small things that have the greatest value and the greatest impact. How you talk to your wife or how you talk to your kids when you come through the door and how you, and how you treat them um, on the day-to-day level is more impactful than, than about anything else. And so you really have to pay attention to the little things. That's what builds culture. And you have to uh, look at, am I coming... Uh, when I'm talking with my wife, when I'm talking with my kids, is it a is it a culture of joy? Is it a culture of respect? Am I generally right, having a demeanor of, I've done this, but I'm guilty of this too, and I've seen parents that talk to their kids like this. Is this your general demeanor, all right? <laughs> or is it like, hey, let's get down, and you see parents who like get down and talk to their kids, you know, on their level, and 
If you do that all the time, or you generally do that, that creates a culture of, of, of something we're going for, which is getting down on their level, talking to them, not, hey, I'm bigger than you, uh, go and do this. And it's usually the pointing finger that, that gets them. Um, but it's, it's those little things in, in, that you have to examine is, am I doing this uh, to produce joy, to produce you know, a culture that is, is an aroma that would be pleasing to them, right? And so, the, and you have to just go home and examine that. I can't, I don't know how much further I could go on that by just saying the little things matter, and you have to examine your own house and what you guys do. But in this point, it's really important to make is that you can't have a house full of joy if you're not filled with joy. You can't produce and you can't, you can't plant seeds you don't have. And so if there's strife in your home or if there's um, or, or bitterness or, or things starting to swell up, you can't just instantly turn off a switch and say, I'm just going to be joyous. I'm just going to be like a nice person now. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You can't produce in other people uh, what you don't have. And you can't produce it in yourself either, <laughs> unfortunately. So you're like, oh no, where do I go, Mr. Man, speaking from the pulpit? You go to Jesus. You get right with the Lord, right? If you're looking at just the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, if those aren't in you, you have a problem with the Lord. <laughs> and you should seek him. <laughs> He can produce it. Those are fruits of the Spirit. And those are generally good atmospheres, if you were to look at the culture in your home, of is my house filled with love, joy, peace, patience, right? Uh, can my kids wait five more minutes for dinner? <laughs> can they? Uh, if they're not patient, it's usually because I'm not patient, right? And you can't produce those things in your home, and you can't produce those things in yourself. You have to seek the Lord. You have to get before him, lay yourself out, and, and get right with him. And so the second thing I want to look at uh, is values, uh, laws, ordinances, regulations that you have in the home, which come out of, out of what you worship. And so <clears throat> we're in our, just in our day-to-day -day life, we're constantly making value statements with our time, with our money, uh, that especially with time, is... If you give more time to one thing over another thing because there's a scarcity of time, you are saying this one is more valuable than that one. And so you are constantly making value statements in, in your household with your resources, time, and money mainly. And so all I want to bring out <coughs> excuse me, is, is it God's law, is it God's standard, or have you supp supplemented it with man's standard, your own standard? And so generally what uh, the, the summary of the law is the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue, um, which is more accurately called the Ten Words. And it's do we base what we value on that over some other man-made or family tradition or, or whatever. Um, and so how you do that is what we talk about in Pressing in the Corners, and how you do it is much less important is that you do it, right? Your kids should know the Ten Commandments. Those should be values that are instilled in the home. And if you look at, <clears throat> um, uh, well, 
If you look at the first table of the law, uh, some traditions go to the first four commandments for the first table. Some traditions go to the first five commandments for the first table. But it's all about loving God. How do we worship God? Right? Those should be high priority in, in your home. And so how you do that is up to you, up to your family to create a culture and, and how you do that. But it's important that you do it. <clears throat> and so in Matthew 16, when Jesus, uh, I always think this is a funny account, when he says, he warns them about the leaven of the Pharisees. And they're like, we don't have any bread. I'm like, do the Pharisees make bread for you regularly? I don't know. Uh, but he's like, no, you don't get it. It's you beware of their teaching. Their teaching is like this leaven that gets worked into the whole lump. We even call the leaven you know, like a sourdough culture because it works its way through the whole thing. The teachings you instill in your home work its way everywhere. What you teach your kids at the dinner table, they're going to take to school. They're going to take to their friends. They're going to take out to the world wherever they go. And so the what Jesus warned in the Pharisees was a legalistic works-based kinism, you know, based on, on family lineage. And Jesus was warning them of, of that. And so you have to be careful that you're not, you have to teach the law in your home, but you can't be legalistic, right? You've got to teach the law in, in, in your home, but you can't beat him over the head with stone tablets, right? <clears throat> And so the, the most important thing, I think, um, is in this is that you lead by example. Again, if you not are exemplifying it, if you not are being sanctified and growing and holding yourself accountable, then why would your kids do it? They know you're a hypocrite. <laughs> and they, they might just get along with you for a little bit, and then when they're 18, they'll move out. Because you're a hypocrite. Right? And so you don't you have to find a way to instill God's law, God's values, what he deems important in your household uh, without being legalistic. And so I think a good way to describe this is with real grace, raises the standard and lightens up. So you should have a high standard in your home, but don't take it so seriously. <laughs> They're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. Uh, we do have a little bit. We haven't done it. Haven't heard it in a while. But we do have, uh, especially when we were memorizing through the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, you hypocrites. And, and so there are some times where I'll say to do something that I don't do myself. And Lily uh, has permission and, and goes, you hypocrite. <laughs> uh, and I was like, well, okay. <clears throat> is, is how far can I go before I break God's law and... Is this inappropriate? <laughs> uh, right when my kids tell me something I just don't want to hear. Um, no, and so are we instilling the values that God puts forward? He summarizes in the Ten Commandments. Um, <clears throat> or are we suppl supplementing our, our own standards? And so you have to teach God's law in your home. That's, they're not going to get their, the values from uh, Scripture any other way uh, apart from knowing knowing scripture, and, and they're summarized in the Ten Commandments. Um, but lighten up at the same time, right? Uh, I think it's common for us to grow up in some kind of legalism because it's so warned about in the Bible, and it's so common to, and so easy to fall into legalism. And so raise the standard in your home and just lighten up a little bit. They're going to mess up. 
Uh, but it, but you don't supplement the standard. You don't say, oh, they're going to mess up, so we'll just not teach it. Um, you you teach them and instruct them, and you work through them with it, and and uh, and you help them. And so the third thing I want to look at is Sabbaths and holidays. And so generally speaking, when God took Israel out of Egypt, he gave them new laws, new ways of life, and he deemed what it was important and how to treat one another. Um, and then he gave them holidays and Sabbaths to celebrate so that they wouldn't forget. And they instilled monuments and various things. Um, I can't remember if it's when they came. I think it was when they came in, into Jericho after the Red Sea. I know at least it's there where they took 12 uncut stones from the Jordan and set it there and said, when your children see this, who are coming into this land filled with milk and honey, they're going to see this monument of why are these 12 stones here? You could tell them why, right, as a reminder. And Sabbaths did the same thing. Holidays did the same thing. <clears throat> and so it's so important that God put it in the Ten Commandments uh, as number four. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, number four. And so uh, uh, holidays, special days, patterns of, of, of holidays, Sabbaths, patterns of worship were important to create a people who were separate and distinct. And you can just look at this uh, in a cultural sense. You can study cultures, and they all have you know, various, various cultures, like the, um, I don't know if it's just Mexican culture or if it's a lot of Spanish culture, they have the, the Day of the Dead. Uh, there's various you know, Asian cultures that have different holidays um, you know, and, and various things. And so those things are important to a culture, to, to build culture, to remind them of something. Right? And so he is, God establishes patterns of worship and rest for his people. And so how you do that, again, you could work out in your family, and, and we can talk about impressing it into the corners, but, you, but it's in the law. It's like right there. It's, it's like a commandment. And so uh, in, in Exodus 20 in, in Numbers, I'm, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy uh, 5, <clears throat> he talks about remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You don't have an option to not keep that holy and important. He doesn't give you um, regulations for everything to do on, on the Sabbath day. And so uh, I think primarily what the, teacher, what the scriptures teach us is that the Sabbath should primarily be a time of rest, right? Uh, we've even, maybe to our own fault from the pulpit, talked a lot about, and it's not wrong, talked a lot about Sabbath you know, the Lord's Day being a time of, of collective worship, which it is. And it's very important to get here on time. And it's very important to worship together. And it's very important to, that we fellowship afterwards. Those are, all, those are really important things. But the commandment doesn't say, and the scriptures don't lead to, remember church attendance and keep it holy. <laughs> it's remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And that is a very important part of the Sabbath. That's a very important part of the Lord's Day. But today is 24 hours. You got a lot more time on your hands. Uh, and so Sabbaths, you know, the Lord's Day should be, it's a, the Lord institutes schedules. He organizes our life and, and time around patterns of worship for us. I don't think it's for the Lord. I don't, I don't, I think that's for us. That he set the example. He created the world in six days and then rested as an example for us. 
I don't think he needed to rest. Um, and so it should primarily be a time of, of rest uh, from your routine labor. Uh, I watched a little 30-second TikTok video of an Orthodox Jew about all the things they do to not work on the Sabbath day, and they literally op- on Friday night, you know, because uh, their Sabbath is Saturday, they open up, she was opening up the fridge and putting a piece of tape on the light to the fridge so that when she opens the door, it doesn't turn on the light because that would be work, and that would be important to God if you opened up the fridge and turned on the light. <laughs> that would be, God would be so displeased. Uh, uh, and so you, the Sabbath day should be a time, it says it twice in, in both times that he reiterates the commandments, a time of rest from your routine labor. That doesn't mean you have to be, uh, I've tried it in my family, trust me, it doesn't work. It doesn't, I'm not doing the dishes today, it's the Sabbath. We'll get them tomorrow. Uh, you can try it, it doesn't work in my home. Uh, but, but you should generally be seeking to, to rest from your routine labor. You need that. <clears throat> and then, you know, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy isn't just a one or two hour thing on, on Sundays. And the Bible doesn't give you clear instructions on whether you should keep Jewish time or Roman time. Could your Sabbath be from sundown on Saturday night to sundown on Sunday? Sure, if you want. Should it just be the, from midnight to midnight? Sure, if you want. Do whatever you want. Uh, but keep it holy, right? It should be uh, it should be special. It should be something about it. I, and I admit this uh, in a little bit is, is, is I'm hypocritical in that we need to celebrate the Lord's Day a little bit more special in our home. Have a special dinner. Do not just uh, this is an extra free day off of work, but it should be. It should be. There should be something special about it. And I think the Lord designed it because that instills in us that the Lord's Day is really important. The Lord wants us to. Uh, come to his day, not out of drudgery, not out of worry, not out of, uh, you know, we just got to get on time, Uh, but it should be an extra day filled with joy. It should be pleasant. It should be, uh, you know, sometimes the scriptures elude you a little bit when you're like, I don't get it when it talks about, uh, the psalmist talking about, it's it's a joy to go to the house of the Lord. Well, try that with little kids. (laughs) It's, It's not as much of a joy uh, when you're wrangling little kids and trying to get on time. and, and uh, But generally the day, I think, should be very special and, and you should make it a point to do something special. And then again, in the scriptures, we have uh, generally three Sabbath festivals that the, in the Old Covenant they were commanded. They did expand that to five uh, later in Leviticus or Deuteronomy. But, but coming out of Exodus, coming out of Egypt in the Exodus, he instilled three Sabbath, three holidays to worship throughout the year as regular patterns and reminders that we worship God and he tells us how to worship. And that's for us, lest we forget, <laughs> right? That's not, uh, not, God's not like, man, I better put this in the calendar or else we're, it's going to pass us by and I'm going to forget it. Uh, he's like, put it in the calendar or else you'll forget it, Right? And so generally, what the early church did in the first few centuries was to have uh, Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost. And so those things should be extra special. Easter should be extra special when we celebrate the, the resurrection of the Lord. Whether you do that in a one-day sense is up to you, or whether you do that in an Easter tide in a week-long sense that the 
church calendar follows is up to you, but we, we generally followed that pattern from the scriptures of, that God gave to Israel uh, in the Old Covenant of three special Sabbaths. And so order your time, order your holidays around worshiping the Lord. Make them something special. Easter should be really special in our church and in our home. And when we do that, it'll be more special in our culture. It'll expand. Same thing with Christmas uh, and, and Pentecost. And so how you do that is up to you. You guys go figure that out. But follow the patterns of the Lord that he set for his people in making the Lord's Day special with corporate worship and, and continue that into the rest of the day and three holidays throughout the year. <clears throat> There's tons of other holidays, Christian holidays, uh, you know, Reformation Day uh, and Halloween is coming up and I think we're having a party. So, uh, but it's not as special as, as Easter. And so, but you should be looking to instill some kind of uh, tradition, some kind of way of lifting up the worship of our Lord through, through holidays. So those are three things to consider as we build uh, culture in our homes. And now you guys go and, and press it into your own corners. And so let's pray. Uh, Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit this morning to be with us for uh, vibrant worship. Be with us as we, especially the parents, as we build culture in our homes that would produce uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit the fruit of the Holy Spirit with love uh, especially love, joy, and peace, and that we produce generosity uh, in our church culture and in, in the surrounding culture, Lord. We ask this uh, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.